This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. Today, we're talking about the heart. It's World Heart Day today. Now, we take our hearts for granted, don't we? We expect it to beat continuously and carry out its job of pumping blood throughout our body without fail. But um, we hear about heart conditions being so common. Age um, is a factor. Many other medical conditions that we live in as we grow older as well can cause damage to the heart muscle, and this can lead to a condition called heart failure. So we are addressing specifically heart failure on World Heart Day today. We will learn about the signs and symptoms of this condition and what we can do to treat and manage it. And joining me to have this discussion, consultant cardiologist, Dr. David Quack. How are you, Dr. David? Well, good afternoon, uh, uh, Nice to be back on BFM after a long, long while. Um, I think I think I'm fine, and I hope that everyone else is as well. Yes, um, and the so COVID has actually put a damper. On. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living again with me, T. Xiao Ik. And I think our guest consultant cardiologist, Dr. David Quack, is back online. Are you there, Dr. David? Yes, I am. My heart has missed a few beats. <laughs> and you talk about Murphy's Law. Yes, I, okay. Maybe what I, I shall start is just maybe introduce to you uh, what, what do you think is a normal heart function and, and how we term is heart failure. I think right. it's, it's not the same as a heart attack. Right? I think uh, that's uh, what a lot of people mistake. Now, I think just to, to remind you, the heart actually is both a powerhouse as well as a pump. So it's like a generator as well as a... Uh, uh, you know, like a pipe conduit to, to flush blood through the whole body. And it actually pumps around three and a half to six litres of uh, per minute of blood throughout the whole body to most of the adult uh, uh, male or female. Of course, a bit less in women. But in exercise, it can actually go up about three, sometimes four times the volume. So it can tell you how much the heart can work. And, and heart failure just means that the heart cannot pump out that kind of uh, enough blood or enough oxygen and nutrients to the various organs that is required. All right. Now, what it means is that on average, for example, if you think about it, uh, um, if you look at the heart of a human size, a human is about the size of a fist, you know, a clenched fist. And essentially in the pumping chamber, we call it the left ventricle, it can actually hold up to about 150 cc's of blood. But every time it squeezes out, it can be anything from about 40, 50, 60, 70, 90%. It can squeeze out almost all the blood. It's like wringing out the blood uh, from your heart and it pushes it through the big aorta into the system. So that's what we mean by the pumping action. right? So now how, how can we go beyond this? And I think the, the question now is what becomes heart failure is when uh, we don't describe it as a reduced ejection fraction. In other words, if it's below 40%, you start getting a lot of symptoms, all right? Mm. But even then, yeah, we now recognize that there are some people with the ejection fraction is above 50 and they still can get heart failure, all right? So I think it's, it's no longer just the number, but it's actually a spectrum where the heart is not functioning as it should and you get symptoms out of it. Mm. And the symptoms, I will come to that in a little while. 
Well, uh, why don't we talk about that now? Because um, how do people uh, recognize that this is a problem? Because presumably it's something that develops perhaps gradually, right? Uh, over time, you don't wake up one day and your heart ejection fraction or uh, yeah, that ability to, 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 to wring out the blood has suddenly just dropped. Um, well, what happens over time? Yeah, most, most of the time it is not acute. That means it doesn't happen suddenly. But when you have a heart attack, for example, that's a typical form where your heart function can actually drop dramatically. That's the, the most severe form, right? When you have a catastrophic bleed, for example, somewhere, you also develop that. But for most people who develop heart failure, it's, it's rather gradual. When you say gradual, it means it takes some time, all right? For example, uh, the feeling will be like shortness of breath, classical shortness of breath. Uh, it's not the same as saying that, you know, you can't take a deep breath, which a lot of people complain about. That's a sighing respiration. Sometimes when you're anxious, you get that. It, it's more related to effort. For example, you try to do a little bit more, you get fatigued, you get easy tiring, you get lack of energy. And, and you seem not to be able to say, for example, climb up one or two flights of stairs where you used to be able to do that, or you cannot even climb up a small little hill. And household chores are difficult, for example. So those are things that tell you that your heart is not functioning well. Okay, So you cannot pump up enough blood for the metabolic needs of the, the body, so to speak. And uh, you know, when it happens, then what happens is that uh, for... Some people, the legs get swollen, for example. The ankle swelling is probably one of those. And they actually can go all the way up into the thighs, into the groin even. And some, in fact, some of my patients actually come because it's actually reached their private parts and they get very scared because it's so swollen and, you know, it looks dangerous. Sometimes the, the abdomen, you know, your belly gets bloated as well. And you tend to pass more urine at night as your hormones is shifted. So, and another sign is actually your heart beating a bit too fast, the palpitations we're talking about. So there are such varied symptoms, Dr. David, and some of them actually seem like things that people might brush off as um, maybe growing older or maybe I'm you know, stressed at work uh, and people might attribute it to that. Um, how do you help patients understand when they need to come and see a doctor? I think, first of all, you, you need to sort of understand what is your routine uh, that you have been doing and if it is suddenly changing over a period of time, let's say over a few weeks and you're starting to get more and more tired, something isn't quite right. And I think this is where you need to see your GP or whatever, just to make sure that you're not developing signs of heart failure. Now, who, who will be the people who, who may get heart failure? Uh, I think a lot of the younger people now are very stressed up. And one of them is actually uh, due to hypertension. Right? A lot of people are getting hypertension now, uh, even as young as in the 20s. Now, hypertension over a period of time is going to be bad for you. Diabetes is the other one that can actually cause heart disease. And of course, uh, ischemic heart disease, meaning heart attacks and all that can also cause uh, heart failure. Uh, in, the, in the recent past, we have a lot of valve disease, for example, uh, from rheumatic infections when childhood, but now it's a bit less, except in the Orang Asli, Orang Asal, and some of the rural folks. But we're still getting them now and then. And the valve is damaged, it causes uh, sort of disequilibrium of a uh, flow inside the heart and therefore you get also heart failure. Mm. Um, there are a lot of other causes. Okay, for example, I, I want to maybe just share with you. I mean, COVID, for example, is a classic. You know, you, you everybody talks about the lung, but actually you can affect the heart and the heart actually is damaged as well in, in the, in sort of a myocarditis and all that. So it can be possible. Uh, another rare cause actually is during pregnancy. 
some women actually during pregnancy, during the peripartal period, uh, they, they tend to get heart failure. It can be very bad, can be fatal as well. All right. And of course, if you're born with some abnormal uh, holes in the heart and all that, it's called congenital, you can also get heart failure. Um, one of the other things that I, I want to raise is this. So uh, in the past few years, um, we've had actually alcohol-induced heart failure. The heart muscle is damaged because of toxic effects. So be careful about a young person who drinks too much, and I mean you know, excessively, they can actually have toxic effects on the heart. So if we put these risk factors together with um, the signs and symptoms that you described earlier and understanding what was normal for you and what has become perhaps not so normal, uh, that, would, the, that kind of that understanding uh, should be what people have in mind if they're thinking, should I go and see a doctor, right? Yes, they um, should. Yeah. You, you mentioned hypertension and diabetes. I just want to pull at that thread a little bit because that's so common in our population. Mm. Does it matter if it's well controlled or not in terms of its risk uh, leading to heart failure? Absolutely. I think if you can treat your hypertension early, one of the things about hypertension is that okay, if you just look at it this way, um, your heart is a pump, remember? And you know that it pumps about 100,000 times a day. Okay, In your lifespan, it pumps probably about 2 to 3 billion times. And then it's time to go. You will you'll get exhausted. So what happens is like, if you're thinking about the heart squeezing blood, if you're squeezing a tennis ball, imagine you doing that continuously. You know the tension is a tennis ball is pretty high. Versus, say, squeezing a balloon. Then you can understand why the heart can actually fail over time. So the treatment for hypertension is to prevent this development as well as, of course, heart attacks, strokes and everything else. But the heart failure is one of them. Mm. We have a question uh, on WhatsApp related to mm. these causes as well. Can vaping lead to heart failure uh, or have other cardiac effects? Well, I think vaping, the, the results are not yet fully in, but we know it damages the lung. Okay, and when it damages the lung, it clogs up the, the, the heart, uh, possibly the heart. It may lead to problems with the heart later on. But I think the, the phenomenon is just a bit too young. But we do know, for example, I did mention about smoking. When you smoke too much, it's not just the lungs that they are damaged, but in the long term, it also causes atherosclerosis. That means a uh, plug burdening of your heart arteries. And you can actually have uh, heart attacks as well. Can it damage the heart? on its own, unlikely, but over time, it is possible. All right. Um, uh, do send in your questions. Um, I think we're having some problems with getting a caller connected. So um, if you've been trying to call and you can't get through, do WhatsApp us instead at 018-789-8899. Technical issues seem to be abounding today. Uh, but I can assure you we can receive messages. Again, the number to WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. If you do want to try to call, 03-7733-2900. Or you can tweet us at BFM Radio. Video. Um, Dr. David, how does heart failure progress? Unfortunately, it does progress if you don't treat it early. All right. And uh, one of the things about heart failure is that uh, it is it has a tendency to be relentlessly downhill. Now, unknown to a lot of people, when you diagnose with a hypertension uh, with heart failure, you know, for example, that your chances of surviving 10 years is less than 10%. In other words, it's worse than a lot of cancers that people are worried about. It's really one of those things that is not good to, to wish upon your worst enemy, seriously. 
So every time you get hospitalized, for example, you have half the chance of getting out. You know, it's actually pretty bad. So what we are saying is that, you know, try not to get heart failure. So you need to treat your hypertension well. And I think unknown to a lot of people also, diabetes now tend to also affect the function of the heart without even narrowing the arteries. In fact, I have a young man, uh, just uh, a young banker in his 30s, who just, just bad diabetes and actually presented with a full body sort of swelling, you know, and breathlessness and the lungs are wet and what have you. And we actually had to admit it to ICU. I mean, it's just serious. We are young, 30 odd years old, but badly controlled diabetes during this COVID, he did come for follow up. And uh, that, that's caused by, by diabetes because when you check these arteries, they're all clean. So again, don't forget, treat all your risk factors well. Mm. What's the prognosis for somebody like that? I mean, you're right, in the 30s is so young. Yes. Well, it's not good, right? I said the prognosis, you know, we tend to, uh, in the past, okay, and it hasn't changed very much. Um, the chances of surviving 10 years is about 10%, okay? But with treatment, we have now elevated that to maybe 25 to 40%. There's a lot of new medications that we can do, but it's not a cure. Okay, there are some curative ones. Okay, for example, if you have a bad valve that hasn't gone beyond and then you repair the valve, the patient can probably come back close to normal. If you have a heart attack and you come in very early, we treat that blockage, you know, your heart is not damaged very much, it comes back to near normal. So those are possibilities. Um, if you have hypertension early and then we treat them, but you need to take medicines for life usually for most patients then you also become quite normal. So I think these are the things that we need to, to bear in mind. Mm-hmm. So um, the principles underlying the treatment of heart failure go back to what was the uh, causative factor in the first place and then you're yes. trying to address that, right? That's true. Yeah. You said um, try not get heart failure in the first place. Obviously, that's our starting point. Um, but assuming that um, that is developing silently in some people, um, th- there is a difference between being coming in to be diagnosed at the early stage compared to a late advanced stage, right? Yes, yes, of course. For example, okay, we used to classify heart failure as you know New York Heart Association class one to four, four meaning that you're breathless even at rest, and that's that's what called by advanced heart failure. You know, you're gasping for breath all the time. You can't hardly move a few steps. Those with very mild, which only when say you walk three, four blocks, you know, before you start getting uh, breathless. Another one would be like, you know, climbing up three, four flights of stairs. That's, that's probably moderate uh, sort of uh, event. And the very severe one is one, one flight of stairs. You can't even climb up, for example. So these are that. But recently, there's a new score called the Kansas City Cardiomyopathy Questionnaire, the KCCQ score. It's a bit more accurate because you can actually work out a sort of a percentage over a lot of activities that you can do. And then we can actually estimate, it helps the doctor gauge whether you're improving or you're actually deteriorating. So I think those are some of the features that we actually can look at. So come in early. If you have some of those risk factors that we talked about, if you have a family history with heart failure, heart disease, uh, if you're a smoker, if you've got hypertension, you've got diabetes, you've got high cholesterol, check up. Make sure you don't get heart failure because the prognosis is really pretty awesome. And mm. bad. 
Mm. And on the note of who should um, you know, go in to get diagnosed or, or to go for checkups, we have a question here on WhatsApp from Aaron. What are the chances of young adults um, who have severe depression, burnout and stress getting heart failure? Well, we, we have to rule those things out first because some, some of the, the, the feeling of, of, of uh, fatigue, uh, listlessness and uh, even breathlessness uh, may be just be related to depression. Uh, is depression itself a risk factor for heart disease? Yes and no. Okay, uh, In terms of heart failure, most likely no. There are some uh, antidepressant drugs which may interact with certain things that can actually make the heart a bit more dangerously uh, disordered. Let's put it this way, especially rhythm disorder. But in terms of uh, damaging the heart, no. As far as I know, there is not really much of that. Okay, uh, depression, of course, can give rise to a lot of other, you know, mental and psychological or psychosomatic things. So I think the idea is to to seek out a good mental health as well. All right, I think it's very hard for me to tell you uh, what to do if you're depressed or you're anxious. Sort it out first, and I think if if we the, the doctor then can find a psychiatrist or psychologist feels there's a structural cause to it, then think about the heart, for example. Mm. Otherwise, the physiological and the, the mental part is what we need to address. Absolutely. Um, Aaron had a second part to his question. Uh, are there any complications if the person had had COVID? Uh, any long COVID-related complications to the heart? Yes, yes, there are. Okay, for example, uh, I have a few patients now where they have more rhythm problems more than anything else. Now, don't forget uh, that the worst case COVID will be those that affect the heart as well as the lung very badly until they, you know, they die or they get severely damaged. And then they have damaged uh, uh, kidneys as well sometimes or some brain effects. So those will be the worst case scenarios. But it's actually quite rare. Right now, we know there are some patients who actually end up with a bit of a lining problems around the heart, so pericarditis. We have some uh, sort of mild so far, as we know, myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. This is also seen in, in flu, for example. No? Influenza-induced uh, uh, cardiomyopathy or heart failure. We have seen that. Uh, they tend to be quite good in terms of long-term prognosis. I mean, majority, 90% will, will improve in one year. Uh, about maybe 5 to 10% may not improve so much. Um, I told you alcohol can cause that. When you stop those uh, sort of triggering or toxic agents, we can actually cure you, so to speak. And still on the note of, uh, you know, risk factors and contributing factors, uh, Jude sent in a voice note. Um, Jude's father has been diagnosed with heart failure, followed by his sister. So Jude is wondering, um, should he be concerned considering his family history? He keeps himself healthy by exercising, um, etc. Is that enough? Well, I think if you're still relatively young, there's no harm thinking that you'll be quite safe. But if, for example, your sister is also relatively younger and they have heart failure, then you need to consider uh, that there may be a familial cause to this. There are some other causes that I haven't brought up. For example, there are some uh, inherited or heritable disease with heart muscle disorder, which can actually cause heart failure in, in clusters of family members depending on the, the inheritance, whether it's autosomal, dominant, recessive, you know, whether it's a very strong gene that's affected. But normally for very young persons, I would say those below 30 years old, 
I think a, a usual one check with your GP will do rather than, you know, go for the full blood test for everything else, you know. Are there, if your hmm. father, um, are there certain screening tests or markers that could point to well, heart I think a, a simple one would be just to see a doctor and maybe if you're very concerned that there may be some funny beats or you're concerned with the breathlessness that is still ongoing, an, an EKG or ECG would be quite useful. Sometimes just a, to rule out some lung condition, a chest X-ray would be quite useful as well. So these are the simple tests. There are, of course, a lot of uh, blood tests which can actually uh, determine quite accurately that you have heart failure. One of them is a thing called the B-type natriuretic peptide, okay, the BNP. It's a bit of an expensive test uh, in the blood. But when you measure this, if it's very, very high, it's a classic marker for heart failure. Okay, there are other tests like echo, uh, scan, which you can actually measure the pressure inside the heart chamber, especially the filling chamber. And we can also tell whether the patient actually has got uh, heart failure or not, or what we call uh, diastolic dysfunction or even the ejection fraction and all that that I've talked about in the early phase. Mm, but you wouldn't use that BMP um, blood test no, for screening? No, not right? for simple persons. I think no. But say if, uh, I think was it Aaron who mentioned that the mother has uh, uh, Jude has got uh, heart failure. Uh, for, for the el uh, older person, if you want to diagnose heart failure, um, Normally, we would probably ask to do all that and make sure that uh, we have the diagnosis correct because there may be other, you know, like you mentioned before, other causes like, like uh, lung issues, which are not really heart failure. And we don't want to label somebody and treat wrongly. So we need to get the diagnosis a bit more accurate. All right. We'll go for a quick break and then continue. We've got a few more questions uh, that have come in on WhatsApp. So I will raise those with Dr. David. I also want to ask a little bit more about, um, you know, how to support patients uh, if they're struggling with certain aspects of treatment. I understand, you know, the, it's not just uh, a particular drug that somebody might be on for life. They might, there may be multiple medications. So it's going to get quite complex. Um, what do patients struggle with. I want to address a little bit about heart rate as well, how that's linked to heart failure. So I'm speaking to consultant cardiologist Dr. David Quick, and we are discussing heart failure for World Heart Day today. So message us with your questions 018-789-8899. You can send voice notes um, as well if you'd prefer or call us 03-7733-2900. We'll be right back on Health and Living BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik, and my guest, consultant cardiologist, Dr. David Quack. We're discussing heart failure today in conjunction with World Heart Day. Send in your questions through WhatsApp 018-789-8899 or you can call us uh, at 03 2900 Dr. David, um, I want to ask about heart rate. Um, what does it mean uh, if there is high heart rate along with... Uh, somebody who has heart failure, is this something that needs to be managed as well? Well, yes. I think, uh, let me just maybe explain to you about why the heart rate is actually important. And what would be a normal heart rate for most people? Well, I think anything from, if you're a super athlete, anything from about 45, you know, and until about 80, probably you are okay. But if you're persistently having a heart rate of above 80, closer to 100, it may be a future of heart failure or unfitness, uh, as the case may be. And why is that so? See, what happens when you have heart failure 
is that the heart actually is very interesting. You know, it, it sort of gets this mixed signals that it's not able to pump out enough blood. And in the olden times, during our ancestral times, you know, it means that you've got a you know, you have a, a root shock somewhere, you're bleeding somewhere, so you have to staunch the bleeding. Your heart actually goes up, your adrenaline and your hormones all shoot up, you know. In fact, it's stimulating the, the sympathetic nervous system, what we call the RAS system, the rainy angiotensin or rosterone system. And in order to try and keep and prop up the blood pressure, this is a sense that it's a loss of it. So because of that, your heart rate actually goes up. So the heart rate, unfortunately, when it goes up, especially when you are under a very tense condition inside the heart, it's actually uh, not efficient for the heart. Okay, Now, um, the heart actually receives most of its uh, coronary blood flow during the resting period of the heart. So in other words, it's actually a longer period. When they have a heart beat, it's that spike of contraction, and then there's a relaxation phase. The relaxation phase is where most of the heart uh, arteries that supply takes place. In fact, when you look at your heart arteries, the first artery that comes out to supply is the heart itself. You know, it's very interesting. The, the inner lining can only supply one single layer for the, for the thing, but the rest of the heart muscle requires the artery and the small arterioles and capillaries. So when that is, you know, your tension is too high, your heart rate is too high, you don't have enough time for the heart to get the oxygen. And that's why it is bad to have a fast heart rate. Mm -hmm. And that's also why uh, if you're a super athlete no? or if you just exercise regularly, your heartbeat will be around 60, you know, and that's actually a very nice, efficient uh, sort of a heartbeat. And you actually live longer. There are studies that did, uh, so many, many studies now, it shows that if you have a heartbeat of around 60 on average per minute, uh, you live longer than someone who's got a heartbeat of above 85. So, so everyone's looking everyone's looking at their smart watches right now and checking yeah. their heart rate. <laughs> so that's important. And and because you have stimulated the, 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 the system so badly in, in a sort of a biofeedback loop that's gone wrong, um, we have uh, what we call beta blockers. In the beginning, we were a bit scared about using beta blockers, but then we know that using a beta blocker, which we use for hypertension. That's a medication, well as, right? Yeah, and to slow down the heart rate, we can actually slow down it, and the patient actually improves, you know. And if we have a lot of nice big studies that actually show it in the last, I would say about 25, 30 years now. Very simple drugs that are now relatively cheap, nitroprolol, bisoprolol, bivalol. Yeah, they're all very useful. Most of them are just once or maybe twice a day and they can actually help you a lot. Okay, The other one that has come in, if you have, for example, asthma, is that you can't take a beta blocker because it tends to cause a bit of bronchospasm. It's the Vibratine, which is actually uh, one of the new uh, makers. And it, that has been shown uh, in, in a lot of studies now to also improve your, your symptoms as well as to improve your survival. And this is what we are talking about in Arcade, how to improve the survival. Mm. So then the goal is um, medications that reduce heart rate uh, and then you can uh, reduce that risk uh, or leading to heart failure. Yes, we, do. we can, yes. All right. But unfortunately, you know, in the treatment of heart failure, okay, remember I was telling you that prognosis is so dismal. Um, it's only in the last, I would say, maybe 20 years and the last maybe seven to eight years that we have actually got a lot of new medications. And unfortunately, um, they, they need to be taken together. So you need to have a handful of medications. And that's the sad part about heart failure because there's no one drug that seems to be able to cure all. And we need to use a cluster of it to, to you know, give us that little edge 
in trying to minimize the, the stress-related things that are going haywire when you have heart failure and try to get them to come back to as normal as possible. And actually, we have seen the, the heart shrinking down in size, you know, and the pump function, the ejection fraction going up from maybe 30% to about 40, 50, even 60%, almost normalizing. So I think these are very exciting times for a lot of cardiologists. Uh, one of them actually started off as a um, uh, diabetic drug. Uh, you may have heard about this. It's called the SGLT2 inhibitor. And the, the two main drugs that have been in the rage now for the last, I think, uh, five years is these two drugs called Empar and DAPA, which actually has been a great shift uh, in, in improving uh, heart failure. All right. Um I assume that uh, if we had an ideal situation of um, high organ donation rates, a heart transplant is actually the gold standard for treating heart failure, uh, right? I, I wouldn't say it's the gold standard. I say that is the, the worst case scenario you end up with a transplant. I see. Because okay. transplant has its own other problems. You you probably need to take... Um, um, you know, anti, uh, rejection, yeah. So, and, and and we also know that the transplanted heart has got a faster rate of having uh, plaque formation, atherosclerosis. So it's, it's not the answer, okay? Uh, and you need to take some of this immunosuppressants, which actually damages other parts of your body as well. Yeah. Uh, but recently, because we don't have that, we have what we call bridging as well as N. Uh, LVET, left ventricular assist device, which is now implanted. Uh, I, I think some of us remember the teenager was moving around with a little big box from IJN. Now the size has been reduced to just about a pump size pump, which is quite remarkable. Uh, the interesting thing of the new one is that it's got no pulse. <laughs> so you have a continuous flow kind of LVET, mm. uh, but there's no heartbeat, you know. So it's, it's, it's very fascinating. It's very expensive. Um, and it is not fraught of uh, sort of free from everything because you can still have blood clots and all that. So I think don't think about a heart transplant. But of course, I advocate that everyone should actually sign a card and have an organ don a donor a sort of a flexibility in case anything happens to us. Of course, no, not that we want that to happen. Mm. So we've had a few uh, questions coming on WhatsApp. Let's take a look at those. Um, uh, Anne says, uh, I've recently done an echocardiogram and stress test. Today I've been told that the left valve does not close properly and is causing backflow. Is that uh, MVP? I presume something to do with the mitral valve? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah it is, it's very common Okay, uh, among women um, to have a mitral valve prolapse syndrome. Now, if it's just a mild leak, which unfortunately, okay, the trouble with that echo is that we are getting better and better in resolution and in terms of Doppler signaling as well, so that we are actually able to detect a lot of leaks as well. And in women, about up to about 3% of them may actually have mitral valve prolapse, which sometimes just cause a little bit of a, a discomfort, okay, some a bit, some artificial beats once in a while, some extra beats, and sometimes they just feel a bit more anxious. Um, we, we don't know. But if the leak is a lot, yes, it can give rise to uh, heart failure. And I've got patients who actually need to have the valve uh, replaced or repaired in order to cut back on the risk of a bad heart deterioration. Mm. So, But I think for most cases, I think I want to reassure her, um, if you just take care, um, if the leak, and just monitor the leak, if it's very mild, the heart is not enlarging, there's actually no need to worry about it too much. If mm. the leak is a bit more moderate, 
you need to worry about your dental because infection uh, from the dent from the gums or, or from uh, genitalia uh, can be quite serious because it can affect the valve and cause an infection there and cause worsen uh, sort of uh, outcomes. All right, but Anne also wants to know because she's active in hiking and cycling, can she continue with those? Absolutely, yes. If you have no problems with those things, just carry on. All right. Another question on valves. Um, SF from Penang um, has been told, uh, I've been told by my doctor that my left ventricle valve um, does not fully close. Um, mild to medium, detected two years ago uh, on, an, on a recent echo. Uh, it's still the same, but not getting worse. Um, any issues? Oh, it's a similar question. Any issues about continuing to exercise? For instance, running, interval training, pushing my heart rate to maximum. Um, yeah. Uh, would you advise for SF to take it easy on the heart or to continue with those? I, th- I think if you have just that very mild to even moderate, if it's in the, the question of how much or is moderate, it, you have to talk to your doctor to see how much the heart has enlarged, if it has. If it hasn't enlarged, that means there's no, what we call it, no volume overload in the system. Then there's nothing to worry about. You carry on doing the things that you enjoy. I always tell people, please, please carry on. For some of these valvular disease, sometimes they tell you to be a bit more careful on what we call um, um, those pressure sort of exercise. You know, those where you do uh, isometric exercises, like too much of weight training or not, because it's a lot of a very fast increase in pressure, which may actually make the leaks a little bit more. But other than that, if you enjoy doing all the exercise, you're still relatively young, make sure you, you can pass your stress test, go ahead and uh, do all the exercise you want. That's the best thing you can do for your heart. All right. Charles wants to know how effective is EECP, enhanced external counter pulsation, in treating congestive heart failure and ischemic heart disease? Um, okay, that has always been the question that a lot of people want to bring up because they don't want to do uh, maybe things like angioplasty or don't want to take enough medication. Um, EECP has been around for a long time. It has never got into the uh, mainstream, partly because... Um, what exactly the, is it? It's the external counterpulsation. They, they, they match the, 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 the squeezing component of your limbs, right, to increase the pressure during your uh, the, the ECG phase so that it, it sort of enhances uh, the, the so-called... Kept the, the bypasses, natural bypasses of the heart. That, that's theoretically what it's supposed to do. But the benefits have been patchy. And uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's going to be useful for heart failure. In fact, for heart failure, it may be dangerous to go for ECP. There are some cases where for ischemic heart disease, all right, particularly those who have refractory angina, they've already done all that's necessary to do, you're taking on the medication, you're still having symptoms, then it may help benefit some of them. Now, I know that some centers are just doing it for health. It doesn't do anything for you. It will not improve your hypertension. It will not improve everything else. It does not make your heart into a sort of a snake heart that some people talk about in ECP, all right, because they want it to have all these uh, major capillaries inside across uh, sort of channels so that, you know, it will not do that. I mean, we are not born to be a snake or a reptile. So, I mean, to put it blindly, <laughs> I'm not a fan of ECP. 
All right. Coming back to heart rate, another question. If I'm already taking medications, but my heart rate is still not 60, should I be concerned? Normally, my answer is no. As long as it's below 70, 60 to 70, you're fine. All right. I think most of the studies suggest that if your heart rate is above 70, then there's something to be done about trying to reduce it down to uh, below uh, six to close to a 60 as possible. But you, you don't have to take the, the, the number as, as the important one. This is your resting heart rate that is actually important. If you're moving around, like I'm moving around day to day, it cannot be 60 all the time. Right? But even in the evenings, after dinner and all that, it should be in that range of you know, 60, 50 or whatever you that That's the best way to go. So don't worry too much about it. If, for example, you still cannot get below 70 in a patient with heart failure uh, there, and you're already taking a beta blocker, and there's a maximum dose or the maximum you can tolerate if you're you know, feeling a bit more fatigued, for example, then yes, that's where the other drug we mentioned about, like Ibravidine comes in, that can help you to lower the heart rate without affecting the blood pressure. I mean, we're really talking about, like you said, right, it's almost a basket of medications. There's probably some lifestyle modifications like restrictions on sodium, you know, changes to your diet and all of that. What do patients struggle with the most, especially as you sort of have to add on, the list gets longer and longer? It it is. Unfortunately, it's one of the worst things about about, uh, about heart failure is that it's just so challenging to treat. You know, but let me let me give you a, a case of mine. We just began almost two, three years ago. He's a lorry driver, big size guy. And for some reason, he's got diabetes. Again, diabetes is a really common one with hypertension. He didn't treat it well. He's only in his uh, early 40s. And he came in with really, when I talk about swelling, remember? He's one of them who actually came right up into the abdomen. Okay, the water comes all the way up. And he was so breathless. He couldn't drive. He couldn't work. And so we treated him. And... Uh, Right now, he's back driving. He can actually upload a lot of things because he's got this cocktail of medications that we have given him in at least two years. Now, frankly, I, I don't think we would have got him out of it if we cannot. And because of that, he's almost back to normal. Unfortunately, he has to spend a big chunk of his income uh, you know, <laughs> to, to pay for the medication. And some of them are expensive. Okay, for example, uh, one of them, the more expensive one, is I think called Secubutril Valsartan. And trust to I need I need to say that because some of them I probably would, would know it. I'm not I'm not advocating for any com- any company. I'm just saying it because that's the only one that's available, and that one actually helps a lot of patients. But it tends to lower your blood pressure a lot. So you have to be very careful. Mm. All right. Um, so also related to, uh, I guess, uh, uh, um, approaches to manage. Um, we have a question here, who, somebody who's been diagnosed with heart failure only recently after echo and MRI uh, wants to know what to control when it comes to food and water. So this is um, our health and living segment. We are um, commemorating World Heart Day today and speaking about heart failure with consultant cardiologist, Dr. David Quack. We don't have much time on the show before I have to wrap up, but uh, Dr. David has covered so much about heart failure. Um, I think what really um, struck me is um, the symptoms, which uh, are things that we may brush aside or attribute to um, benign causes. And you want to be looking out for that, things like shortness of breath, fatigue, um, 
inability to do um, activities that perhaps previously didn't require much effort, like climbing up short flights of stairs, um, sw- uh, swelling in your body. It usually starts in the legs, but Dr. David was just relating about a patient who's come in with even sw- uh, swelling in the abdomen, so that swelling can travel upwards uh, from the peripheral limbs. And uh, heart palpitations, uh, increased need uh, to urinate at night. And now, you know, you're thinking, okay, I have some of these symptoms. Um, Do I really need to be concerned? Well, if you uh, combine that with certain risk factors like uh, family history of uh, heart failure, if you have current conditions like hypertension and diabetes, uh, you've had a heart attack, you have valve disease, you've had COVID, um, you uh, perhaps you were born with congenital um, heart conditions. Um, alcohol intake, uh, extreme alcohol intake, can also lead to heart failure. So you want to be looking at um, you know those risk factors if you have them, especially hypertension and diabetes. Something that uh, Dr. David has repeated over and over again, especially if it's not controlled well. Uh, Dr. David. I think we were talking about controlling food and water. And we're running out of time a little bit, so I think I'm going to just rush through that um, in terms of uh, those modifications if you have heart failure. Yeah, you, it's true. Okay, a few things. You you probably need to reduce the salt in your food because it's going to be very important. If you can eat home-cooked food or reduce a lot of salt in your diet, uh, you need to watch your water intake. Now, just because you don't pee in the right time or you pee more at night and you don't pee in the daytime doesn't mean you you should be drinking more water. Okay, In, in general, we tell people to restrict to about one and a half liters per day maximum or even one liter in those bad cases. And I think that's very important. You have to watch out for uh, fruit intake, particularly if you've got kidney problems as well, especially due to kidney failure. And of course, you must avoid alcohol and you must quit smoking once you go into heart failure because otherwise the prognosis is not good. Uh, There are cardiac rehab programs. So in other words, I don't want you to just sit down and do nothing. We we have got uh, studies that show that if you actually do uh, regular activities, walking, for example, you know, and trying to get further and further. There's a thing called a six-minute walk test. You can actually do it regularly and you can actually improve your, your sense of well-being as well as your capacity to exercise. So do not just sit down and wait for things to get better. It doesn't work that way. But don't go overboard. Don't go overboard. Okay? All right. Okay, a yeah. uh, couple of questions. I'm going to combine them. How do cholesterol levels affect heart function? This person is mid-20s with borderline high cholesterol. And another question is related to taking fish oil supplements. Well, the fish oil supplements um, has been on and off for a long time. We've got results that show yes, and then the results that say no. Uh, the, the By and large, most of the commercial uh, fish oil that we have actually has not much of an impact on the heart. Um, I think there's no harm if you feel you don't eat fish, you want to increase that oil, go ahead, all right? But uh, otherwise, it doesn't do much for you. Um, the cholesterol? other question about mm. that cholesterol, a lot of people have high cholesterol to some degree. If it's borderline, just watch the diet first, exercise more, and then watch and see where it's going. But if you have a family history of heart disease, then you may want to think about starting to, to lower it with some medication because there's no other way of reducing it, really. Your diet will bring it down by 4 to 5% at the most. All right. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. I need to wrap up, but I'd like to get a takeaway message from you, Dr. David, related to, I think uh, you you know come back to the fact that you just don't want to 
present with heart failure in the first place. So perhaps a takeaway, how can we prevent heart failure? Well, make sure that you live a healthy lifestyle. Do everything in moderation. If you happen to just inherit hypertension, like even myself, my father had hypertension at 30-something, you treat them early and you'll be fine. I mean, my blood pressure now is about 120 by 75 and I'm on treatment. Okay, and last 30 years. So nothing wrong with taking medication. It's not going to damage your kidney. It's going to help you live longer. If your cholesterol is high, take a cholesterol pill. All right, don't listen to Dr. WhatsApp and Dr. Google and say it's bad for you. It's not true. Okay, remember that uh, if you exercise regularly, it's going to be better for you. Cut down too much of the carbs in your diet, particularly uh, sugars, simple sugars, because diabetes is a big problem in Malaysia. 20% of the population has it. And remember, WHO says about... 17.9 million people die of heart disease every year, 31% globally. So important take-home message is uh, they've just come up with this interesting uh, thing called Use Heart for Every Heart. That's the theme for World Heart Day today. Mm. And what it actually means is uh, it's a bit funny. I think they use it because it was in uh, Portuguese or whatever it is because the, uh, the, the, the World Heart Federation is a Portuguese uh, friend of mine called Professor Fausto Pinto. And um, what he says is that you use heart for humanity. Just think about reducing cardiovascular deaths in the country, in the whole world. Treat the planet properly. Use for nature. Use for yourself. Potentialize yourself in terms of you know, getting better coping mechanisms, cutting bad habits, reducing stress. So that's all I wish for you. <laughs> Have a good heart. From, from the heart to the rest of the planet, isn't it? Thank you yes. so much, uh, Dr. David Quack, consultant cardiologist, answering so many questions from all of you about heart failure. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of them, but this has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 